Welcome to the Straight Out of Home Video Podcast, part of the Geeky Waffle Network. Today we're talking about the Willow series. I'm Candice, and with me is my fellow waffles, Arzu. Hello. And Krista. Hey. So the Willow series is a sequel to the 1980s movie Willow that was directed by Ron Howard. And Warwick Davis is back as Willow. Yay! Yay! I do love he's a sorcerer and his growth in the in-between time. And we do get to see some flashbacks, which is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. What did you guys think of his portrayal? Or just Willow in general? I mean, I think he'd grown as an actor because he was a teenager the first time. Yeah, he's... It's a shame he doesn't get more starring roles. Yeah. Like, very much like supporting actor a lot of the times, but he he carried this. He really did. Like there was kind of a what's the word I'm looking for? A kind of not naivete exactly to Willow initially, not in the series, like in the movie, that he does such a good job of kind of saying in this interim 20 some years how quickly this becoming a hero so young can disillusion you and kind of make you grumpy and grouchy. And it just, it's very subtle. He's not like spelling it out. I mean, it is kind of spelled out, but he plays it very subtly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it could have been so obvious in, in the way he did it. And he didn't do it that way. Krista especially loved this movie. I was terrified of this movie as a child. The original is, I think, a lot darker because it's just nonstop action. There's less humor. Um, I mean, the whole premise is they're going to try and murder this baby. Yeah. So it's it's just a lot darker of a film. Um, and I felt like maybe a little more even just in tone than maybe the TV show was. But we can get to that. Yeah. Um, but I did appreciate that, you know, obviously Willow came back, but then they have such a great um, cast. And they did a good balance of having him as the returning character, um, but then also giving room for new characters to kind of spring up and have their growth. Yeah, and I really love his relationship with Laura. Mm -hmm. And again, he's a the he has become the archetype of the mentor now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in this series. And they kind of have like a father-daughter relationship, really. I'm really I've, trying very hard not to spiral into Star Wars. I'm like, he's the Luke to her Ray. Anyway. It's Lucasfilm. There is a it's lot Lucas of Star films. Wars parallels. Or this, is, this is the third sequel trilogy film, as far as I am concerned. I, I love how he becomes like a paternal figure to all the young characters. Mm -hmm. His relationship with Graydon, Prince Graydon, who doesn't have a good relationship with his own father. No. No. He is the character who's like, okay, yeah, you're engaged to Kit now. And Kit's like, I like no. someone else. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, thank you. And great. And he really admires Willow because Willow's heroics have been told throughout the land. Very Luke Skywalker-esque. Telling you. Yeah, and, and it's not clear from the stories that the way he defeated Bab Mordo was doing his disappearing pig trick, and then she just, like, tripped into her own trap. He didn't do much to correct it, but then again, I'm not sure how much of that he heard. Yeah, 
You know, it's like the game of telephone. Things get out, you know? I feel like he liked it in the beginning. He kind of like playing up to the hero uh, that people thought he was and the, the big bad sorcerer. So, yeah, I, I think he kind of liked it. And then like, and then what we see, like what the kind of person he became, like very sort of rigid and whatever, like he loved the hero thing in the beginning, but the decades will wear on you and suddenly it's almost like he started buying his own hype mm -hmm. and it kind of made him into somebody who's a little more closed off, a little more hesitant and strict and rigid. And then it's through these like paternal relationships with all of the kids, not just with anyone in particular that he sort of starts to redefine what it means, like what his own legacy means to each of them and how best to lean into that with each of them. We see a flashback of Sorsha telling him that he's not a good sorcerer. Which oh, was very, like, harsh. I and I get why like, she did it. But that was, like, I, really harsh. I am thinking it's right after her husband disappeared. So she's in mourning. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's after Mad Marty had disappeared. And I think it's also she's trying to get him to, like, leave Alora alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. she so I get why she did it. But, like, damn, Sorsha. I honestly wish we had more Sorsha in the series. I feel like we didn't get enough of her. I was just happy that um, Joanne Whaley came back as Sorsha. And I was glad that, like, a lot of people came back. Yeah. Um, like, Warwick Davis as Willow, obviously. Um, Mims, his daughter in the show, is his real-life daughter. Rule the Brownie, Kevin Pollack came back. And then I didn't know it until I rewatched the movie today, but the Eborsisk, the two-headed fire-breathing dragon that you see at the end with uh, the worm, was from the first movie, too. I don't. I don't mind that Sorsha wasn't in this a ton because they have such an ensemble cast of like new people. Yeah. And I also didn't see Willow for the first time until after the first trailer for this show came out. And I'm like, oh, that looks good. Maybe I should watch the movie. Um, and then I saw the movie. So I don't have any kind of attachment to the movie. Oh, yeah. It's like, like nostalgic attachment. Attachment like Kristen and I have. Like I, yeah. I like it. Or nostalgic so attached in that way, but I'm not nostalgic for it at all. Scared of those dogs. When they came back in the first few episodes, I was like, oh no, my childhood fear is back. Well, it's so scary because they go after the baby, they go after the midwife. And, and they kill the midwife. They just they do. And re-watching this movie again, I realized she like took care of Alora for a long time as a baby. Like from when she was just like newly born to when we see her. So she was with her quite a while. And then watching this as a parent now, it's a lot more terrifying. Oh, oh, I bet. I can't even imagine. Because, yeah, the first movie is just about protecting this baby, Elora. And it's just people wanting to kill her. Mm -hmm. And she's so cute. <laughs> cute little redhead. Okay, so Elora, a.k.a. Dove, a.k.a. Brunhilda. Brunhilda. Seriously, Sorsha couldn't come up with a nicer name. She's like, I'm going to put you in the kitchen and your name's going to be Brunhilde. Oh, man. I would love to know Sorsha's thought process there. And it's like, I wanted to give you a good life in the kitchen as my servant. Again, I get what Sorsha was going for. I have some questions about the execution. Yes, me too. Alora is hilarious. Mm -hmm. She's not trying to be. She's so snarky sometimes, mm. and she's confident in some ways. But she has to go through this journey of being like, oh, yeah, you're the empress of the realms. You're like a goddess in this world. I 
There's like a general thing I notice. I see it a lot with Alora. I see it a little bit with Kit and Jade too. It's something I generally don't like in fantasy is when they add like and stuff to the way they talk. Like they speak a little more modern. Usually I find it very grating. But I find it's like a testament both to like the environment and to the cast that I did notice, but it didn't bother me like at all. And I think like the snark wouldn't have worked without it. So I'm glad they decided to go for it. Did you saying just them saying like, you know, like they would go, I don't know. It's like, like whatever they would say, like their snark sounded very modern, which generally I find takes me out of a story. But because of the dynamic they had already set up with everybody, I found it worked and it like didn't bother me at all. When it comes to such a fantasy um, uh, IP or fantastical world, I I forgive a lot more with the modern language because obviously this is in our world. Modern language, totally. For some reason, it's just certain slang things where I'm like, no, but I think it's maybe because I talk that way. So that's where my suspension of disbelief stops. I was fine with it, except for there was one moment when she was fighting the crone. Laura was fighting the crone. And they kind of paused and the crone said something, something, bitch. And it took me out of it so much. Just the way they kind of pause for dramatic effect. Um, and so that's the only time the language kind of took me out of it. Um, what did you guys think of the modern music? I loved it, I, I loved it too. Mm-hmm. It was really well done and put and like the covers. If it was the original, I think it might not have worked. But mm-hmm. since it was a cover and like, it just flowed better. It, Very it much like, like a knight's tale. Yes, yes exactly. exactly. That was what, what I was thinking too. I was going to use because it's like sort of like a knight's tale and sort of like Bridgerton in that the sentiment is a universal one. It's an applicable one, but we're sort of changing the instrumentation and all of that to make it sort of suit this tone. But the like the feeling is not a 21st century or 20th century feeling. It's an eternal feeling, whatever that feeling may be. So I thought it worked fine. Okay, so let's go to Kit. Kit, the princess. What? Did you think he's annoying? He's annoying. A lot of people, I was surprised people thought she was annoying. I didn't find her annoying. I just found her going through this arc, this Um, growth. Kit Kit is mean, which is why I like Kit. Um, She's a freaking princess. Because as the sister of a brother, um, sometimes, sometimes you just end up mean. She's, Mean to Alora, though. Yeah. Like she's jealous of her. She doesn't even tell her that her magic worked for quite a while, which is very important to their survival. And I just was kept waiting for her to come around. And so I did in the end, like, you know, that they came, they came mm-hmm. around and were friends. But I, I did find her annoying for the first so many episodes. I just love how petty she is. No, and I love that. I, I love that character. And I love Ruby Cruz. She looks like the daughter <laughs> of Joanne and Val, you know? Mm-hmm. And she and, I can't remember the actor's name, who played Dimsy Derek. Brick. Who plays Dimsy Derek. Brick. The two of them look like siblings. They the, do. Like, the casting was beautiful. Yeah. But I, I loved it because she was like the spoiled princess who thinks that she is this amazing warrior. And Jay tells her, like, I let you win, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> because that's what she's a, she's a princess. So she has to go see these hardships and realize that, no, she's not the main character in every story. And she has to be like, okay, well, I'm the protector. I can help. 
I can do this. And I love her journey and her, like, how she becomes a better person. Mm -hmm. I also find it interesting, like, what you're saying about how she's not the main character of this story. In the beginning, like, the first episode or so, we follow her. We follow her. And when her mom is like, you know, you have to marry this person for the good of the kingdom. She's like, I don't want to because I'm in love with, like, this other person. She doesn't say that, but... All of this is happening in the first episode, which is key, like, main character stuff about, like, what she wants, what her journey Mm -hmm. is. And the story never puts that aside. She gets to sort of come into her own and find her love and find her purpose and all of that. But I find it interesting that her conflict hinges on that moment where she realizes she isn't the main character of this story. And even though she didn't want that at first, she also doesn't know what to do when she isn't the main character. Yeah, again, she's a princess. She is... She's treated as royalty. Mm -hmm. She is used to catering to her. She doesn't mind getting her hands dirty, obviously. She's not like the the normal stuck-up princess, but she's still a princess. Mm -hmm. And she has this, you know, image to live up to of her father being the greatest swordsman of all time. Mm -hmm. And plus with him being gone, you know, she wants that connection. She wants to be like him. So she kind of has that chip on her shoulder. More so than I think... Eric does, where oh, yeah, would have had the freedom to to be that and to be more like Mad Mardigan, where that's what Kit wants and what Kit mm-hmm. can't do. Let's go to Eric next. Eric is the twin brother of Kit. Apparently, he is an older by one minute, which I love when twins are like, I'm the oldest. But Why I, himbo? I, I know. He, very much a himbo. Gorgeous idiot who doesn't even know the real first name of the girl he's dating and then proposes to because he thinks Alora is just a kitchen maid who makes really good muffins. Which and he is calls her true. Yeah, it's still true. She can be all things. Mm-hmm. But he calls her dub. Which I find I would not want to be called dub. Doves are really kind of dirty and their eyes are kind of gross. And I, I don't like birds in general, so I also wouldn't want to be called dub. What about penguin? Penguins are cute. If, if some guy's like, oh, penguin, I love you so much, like, I leave. I, that's when I leave. That's it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so I kind of, I wish we had a little bit more time with him, but I understand he is the plot, de- not the plot device. He is a driving force. He's the reason. He's duh. the catalyst. Yeah, catalyst. He's the reason Alora tags along. Mm-hmm. He's the reason Kit goes. So that means Jay goes. And then Borman goes because Sorsha's like, go with my kid. You know. I like that the damsel in distress is a guy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then it's most of the women in his life that are like, okay, guess we got to figure this out. Yeah. And, his, and, and the antagonist who's trying to like lure him to the dark is a woman. Mm-hmm. 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 Which he falls for so quick, but I guess it was something in the water too. So, something in the water, but the also water. they did establish this about him fairly early on. That he, that he just does falls fall for people very quickly. Yeah, very easily. Kid. Is like you just call her like dub because you don't remember her name. And I think like that's that's one of the things they had set up too, like that the crone appears however is most appealing to you. Yeah. Whatever that may be. So Eric, being the way he is, she is a young, beautiful woman because that's the thing that's gonna register with him. I just love Jade and Kit's face. And then, after, like, right after Laura defeats the crone and he's kissing her, she oh. turns into the crone and their faces are just 
hilarious. Erin Kellyman, the master of the subtle facial expression, just like the way her nose just kind of wrinkles just a little bit. Like it's not an overt thing, but she's just like, no, oh. don't like it. Yes, Eric Kellyman, who plays Jade, another, if you just watch her in every scene, you get so much more from her character because she is a quiet type. You know, she is the knight, the guardian. There, when Borman ends up like jumping off the cliff to see to join them in the battle, the little smile she has on her face, she doesn't say anything to him, but she's like, yeah, she smiles. Yes. And she, like she's like, I knew he was going to come. Yeah, he, he's our friend. He's our family. And it's just this subtle thing that, you know, gives so much life to her character. So Jade, at first, I thought maybe she was Alora because she had red hair. Well, just because the way they cut from, like, she's been hidden for her own safety. And, like, you see the red hair and then you cut to Jade who has red hair. And you're like, oh, that's Alora Dannon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was definitely a deliberate editing choice. Yeah. Yeah. But I love this idea of a princess in her night. You know, the forbidden love, but they, you know. They fall it's not even that forbidden. They're just both stupid. Well, it's more like it's forbidden because she's engaged to somebody else. Okay, well, fine. But they they both seem to be in agreement that they just won't get married, even though they keep calling each other fiancé. Because Brayden's like, well, our parents did things their way. We can do things our way. Which, like, I guess, like, could be interpreted as, you know, we'll get married and we just will figure other it people? out. With just the other people, but I interpreted it as we don't have to actually get married. We could just agree to like have a treaty and have peace and just work together like yeah. friends. And he was perfectly happy to do that. They just kept calling. I think it was like Borman was just making fun of them. Be like, hey, your fiance is right over there, you know. But I like that even uh, even Graydon would do it sometimes. He'd be like, I have to say Valora and my fiance. Like, just like that, not often. Like, and my fiance's girlfriend, too. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, well, his crush on Alora, he wasn't very good about hiding that from day one. From anybody. Anybody. No. But, okay, back to Jade. I am so happy we got her. And we got Kit together. It was like, Arzu and I watched the first two episodes together, and I'm like, oh, they're not just being, like, subtext. It's actual text. Were you grabbing my arm or was I grabbing yours? Somebody was grabbing somebody. <laughs> I think I think it was like this. a lot of this. Yes. Like a lot of swatting going on. We were in a very small theater where we were very cramped together. Or is it, it's happening. It's happening. It wasn't implied. It was great. I thought it was really well done. And like you said, it didn't feel like um, something that they put in there for like tokenism or, or fan baiting or anything. Story. It's yeah. important to the story. It's not made a big deal that they're two girls in love. They just are. Mm-hmm. And again, that is what everybody who ha- lacks representation wants. They don't want it to be representation because of representation. They just want to be in a story and be a person. And it was so natural. And you can't help but rooting for these two people. And the crucial thing is, if you take out their love story, none of what they do makes sense. In relation to each other. It's not like Mm -hmm. something you can just cut out and pretend it didn't happen or be ambiguous about it. Like their motivation stops making sense. Half their conversations don't make sense Mm -hmm. if you take out the fact that they're interested in each other. Oh, I love the way Aaron said, well, Aaron Jade said, like, stay away from my princess. (laughs) (laughs) They're so cute. But it was also like, ooh. But yeah, 
it was great and she was wonderful as like kind of like the stoic the brave she had this really like very very much at the beginning maybe was the third episode where she had to kill her mentor mm-hmm. practically like the man who raised her and made her like believe she could be a knight because she was going to go off to like a night camp or something she was going to go off to galadorn to join the to join their knights yeah so the one person who really believed in her believed in her she and that's just like a very big character point that she's willing to make those sacrifices and the thing is <laughs> kit had to grow enough to be willing to do the same cuz mm-hmm. jade was already there yeah i think jade's growth I mean, you know, grows as much as she grows as much as anybody can on the journey. But I think her growth is going to come down the line because there's that line her sister says before they separate. of Like when this is all over, you have us and you have her and you have to decide like where mm-hmm. where you belong, like where your loyalty is. And I think that's going to be her big growth moment is kind of figuring out how to have both. Yeah. I want to see more of that because it did seem really handy that all of a sudden, like, oh, these are my people. Uh, we're not going to die now. Um, I magically found out where I'm from. So I'm going to want to see more payoff on that personally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my all-time favorite character of the series is Borman. I forget who said it on Twitter. They said he's like Jack Sparrow, but he's kinder and he takes showers. Well, he's Mad Mardigan. I mean, he's this series Mad Mardigan. Yeah. Which I did love that they made him be like the mentee. So you understand Mm -hmm. where he got like the 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 swagger swagger from. Yeah. You know? Like he's somebody who really wanted to be Mad Mardigan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he's cosplaying a little bit. But he like. Yeah. But then he builds up Mm -hmm. and he becomes him at the end. I my favorite line of his and he has a lot of great one liners. My favorite is like right at the end when he comes out of the castle and there's that like triumphant fanfare, like he survived and he didn't die. And he's just like, I want my mom. Oh, that's so like, I don't know like, what he saw in there. I don't know what he did, but he wants his mother and he wants her now. He had such also, great humor. I also liked right before they were going to like the city, he's like, anybody want to make out? Like, just, yeah, you know, bisexual. More representation in it. Throwing that out. <laughs> oh, man. God. But yeah, no. He goes from, it's very Han Solo-esque where he goes just like, you know, goes from looking out for himself to giving up like this relic he had been looking for for like half his life and giving it to Kit because he's like, it's not for me, it's for you. And then willing to sacrifice himself to buy them time at the end. And, you know. Yeah. I, I also liked at the end when Eric is like, joins them. He's like, you know, you're going to have to, you know, keep up with us. He's just very possessive of his new squad. Yeah, it's his new family. It's it's adorable. And I just, I, I that's the thing is what's so great about these characters and them being on this journey is very much like they get a, we get scenes of all of them playing off of each other. They all have conversations. Mm-hmm. They all have these moments. And yeah, you really feel the relationships, which is something that's really great about it being a series versus a movie. I think the format, like the series format, suited this a lot better than a movie did because that movie packs a lot into two hours. 
Mm-hmm. Where like I had to see it twice before I felt like I got it. And like, and I still feel like I'm missing half of it. But I've seen it more than twice for the record. But I still feel like I'm missing. Mm-hmm. I'm missing parts of it. But I feel like having such an episodic series where each episode is like one seg- one complete segment of the journey. I think made the whole thing a lot easier to process, gave us a lot more time with the characters, with their growth, with the journey, with all of it. So I really like this format for this story. I also like happy fantasy that's not dark and gritty and bloody all the time. I mean, it had its moments. It had some pretty violent moments, Mm -hmm. but by and large, it was like the kind of fantasy I know I would be completely obsessed with when I was like 13. I really liked it, but I felt sometimes it was uneven from episode to episode or even within the episode because the tone would go from like really funny shenanigans to like some darker things like pretty quickly. And like, again, I enjoyed it, but sometimes I felt that was a bit uneven. I mean, there was that scene where Kit and Jade are having that heart to heart and they're about to kiss and then Kit just gets yeeted. And that made me jump on my couch. Because that was the intention. Yeah, I know it was. Yeah. But I was just like using that as an example. But um, okay, so we talked a little bit about, we talked about Kit, Kit and Jade. I'm going to talk about Alora and her love triangle, mm-hmm. which is she's, I think she's engaged to Eric, right? Like, mm-hmm. they agree. She's engaged to him that Eric proposed. I don't know that I believe him. I like, don't, I don't you, believe him. How many times do you think he has proposed? Exactly. I don't know. I can't begin to guess. I don't believe him. I don't trust him. I like him. I think he's a sweet little himbo, but I feel like when he came right, like when it came right down to it, if nothing had happened and they'd been allowed to just proceed, I don't think they would have made it down the aisle. And I think it would have been his fault. But he really liked her muffins. I bet he liked her muffins, but like, well, if they had gotten married at Tiris Lean, I think there would have been like five other scullery maids that'd be like, he's engaged to me. Back off. Like, does anybody object? Yeah. The entire staff of the household objects because they had a similar promise and Allura is the only one who managed to get him down the aisle. So something that happens, it's, I would say it's kind of subtle, but like Graydon falls really quickly mm-hmm. for Allura. He's first just like intrigued by her when he finds out she is Allura Dannon. And then, like, by the time he gets possessed, he's like, I'm all in. He even tries to talk to Willow about it when they're captured and about to be put to death. Just, you know what I think is interesting is when Willow asks Alora like, what she sees in Eric. And she's going, I don't know, he was nice to me and he talked to me and all of this kind of stuff. And I I get where she's coming from, like, with this need for affection that she wasn't really getting anywhere else. You could almost apply the same things to Graydon's feelings for Alora. Is that mm, that's she was true. kind to him. She talked to him. Like Kit took one look at him and went absolutely not, blew up in his face and stormed off. So well, that's he wasn't Jade. <laughs> Jade is just like not picking up any of that. But Alora, you know, he was nice to her. So she responded to that and she was really kind to him. So it's not in a creepy way of like, ooh, she was nice to me. Therefore, she's mine. But like in a, oh, this is like, what kindness and affection can feel like so that like triggered it and then them just kind of getting along on the journey i think pushed him into yes how he felt for her and since he was interested in magic too you know they have that stuff in common and obviously kit's not going to work out no and in a different interested in a different uh a different swashbuckler is not the right word different warrior yeah Mm -hmm. 
So while we're on the topic of the wedding that did not happen, I have one remaining question. So Allura did drink the worm's milk, even though she didn't go through with the wedding. Like, do we think there's any like ramifications from that? The second Allura. You think that's why she has her face? Yeah, I think Uh her drinking that milk slime thing then in at the wedding deciding no i'm not going to do what you tell me cause like a split mm-hmm. and i think that i think that's the ramification of that okay yeah that's my there's theory. an in credit scene where we see Graydon, who we think is killed mm-hmm. and there is Laura dannon with a you know a trauma bob haircut and she's and like just all in black to show she's serious yeah so, so she's very serious and she's like I want you to help me kill a lot of people. <laughs> you know, they- I mean, I'd be all in if she said that to me. I, I know. That she looked amazing. Like, oh, I like the evil Alora. Hello. Yes. But okay. So this is something that I've like, been talking, uh, seen talking about, and seen people talking about on Twitter, especially, is that Alora was only able to access her like really big powers after someone died, after like a possible love interest died, Graydon, her friend, even it takes that for her to like really. Are they saying this in the respect of like she had to sacrifice to access her power? Is that what they're saying? I don't know if it's a sacrifice because she didn't sacrifice him, but that's. But what like it, we see guess- that a lot with heroines journeys is they have to they give up something and then they can access. Right. Or they can defeat the big bad. Well, I like that that doesn't seem to be permanent. Yeah, that was my thing, too. It's like, I don't think he's really gone. Oh, yeah, it was obvious he wasn't gone. Yeah. And they put, you know, and that also at the end, when the whole thing's done, because it's a book and everything's a chapter, they put away volume one and there's volume two and three, which makes you think we get two more seasons at least. Fingers Mm -hmm. crossed. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think... I think if it was permanent and we didn't see anything of him, I would get that. But this would be a very different conversation. Yeah. But since he's there somehow with evil Laura. So I wonder if this is just their way of subverting that idea of you have to lose something in order to gain your full power where she thinks she's lost it. So she taps into like that primal rage, fury power that she was maybe like holding off on because she officially Mm -hmm. had nothing left to lose in her view. Yeah. But also she hasn't really lost it. So how does she rein back from this unleashed angry Alora that she probably is even like in the non-worm version? And she also hasn't lost everything. She has this new family now. She has Willow. She has Kit and Jade and even Borman, you know? Yeah, like she she has them. But I feel like I feel like he was her person. So that losing him, I think it is the like what's the point even if like there are other people there who love you do you think she was returning his affections that she was like falling in love with him those things where you if you had asked her two minutes before he died she'd say no but if you asked Mm -hmm. her two minutes after she would have a different answer because she was still walking down that aisle with eric and of course she does stop it and she says i'm not that into so i think this is like her kind of having that moment of realizing not only she's not into eric but maybe she might be into somebody else but I do think, like, I think she's like, I don't even think she knows that yet. But I mm-hmm. think her feelings before 
grading quote unquote dies and like are very different like within two minutes of two minutes before two minutes after i think she would have had a very different answer if you asked her how she felt about it yeah because it's also the possibility she's like i just got out of a i just got out of a engagement you know yeah <laughs> be like, i don't know i don't know i don't know she loses him and it's like oh my god what have i lost yeah yeah i don't know i think we shouldn't read too much into this magic system because it's not very fleshed out like Alora is this all-powerful you know sorcerer with limited training she's even more powerful than the crone um, you know, some incant- incantations are needed for magic, but sometimes you can just do magic CPR on people. So it's kind of all over the place. So sometimes you need a wand. Sometimes I, you need sometimes a staff. You well, yeah. the, the wand and the staff thing they did explain is that it's a conduit, like whatever. Yes. It is. Mm-hmm. Like the flute, the wand, the staff, and sometimes you just don't need a conduit. What I thought was interesting about this unfleshed out magic system, um, I didn't realize until a couple episodes in that Willow actually can do magic, like mm-hmm. intense magic. Because I got the impression he wasn't very good at it. Yeah, it seemed like he's he like, I'm the high old one. I'm like, but you're bad at your job. And then like, no, I guess he is actually a good sorcerer. So I just think he's not like up to like what the legends say. The legends. No, just even even compared to like the movie, like a lot of it seemed like very basic magic and a lot of ingenuity. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of was supported by the first two episodes. And then. They keep asking him for all this magical advice. I'm like, well, he's not really doing much. So I kind of thought the whole thing was he doesn't really know how to do all this. But then that seemed to go away about halfway through the series. Yeah, it's like I thought maybe he's going to be like, I'm storing it up. I have to store it up, you know, for when we really need it. And then, bam, he was just like throwing punches. I guess maybe like it was one of those things where he thinks he can do it, but he doesn't really have the confidence to do it. And then as he's training Alora and eventually Graydon, like, kind of gains that confidence for himself when yeah. he becomes better at it. What did you guys think of Christian Slater's like guest starring role in an episode? I thought that was a nice like I... homage to like having an 80s actor, like a fellow 80s actor. I forgot how handsome Christian Slater is. Um, He's still gorgeous. Yeah, I, I was watching a movie last night that Christian Slater was also in. It was like a young Christian Slater. So seeing this and then now talking about him now, like just genuinely forgot just recently i'm being reminded how handsome christian slater is i just felt that his storyline was just so predictable like you knew that he was going to say he was mad mardigan you knew that he was going to be the one who had betrayed her father and like i don't know it just felt so predictable the whole time what did you think of well, Eric being like kind of controlled by the crone after the crone is defeated and Kit being having to fight her brother? I thought he was dead. I think I that boy both, was dead. Both in the both in the Eric with the crone thing and with the Christian Slater plot, I found both were like a story beat I could have predicted, but I feel like given the tone of the series, I'm like, that makes sense. Like we're hitting the familiar beats in kind of like a slight, like like with a bit of a twist. The yeah, twist I, being like the performance, the environment, like they didn't really mm-hmm. subvert the ending at all, which honestly I'm fine with. So yeah, I thought, I thought it was like something I could have predicted, but that I don't think that that's a bad thing. Yeah, I don't think that we have to have our expectations always subverted in stories. I think sometimes you can just tell these character beats in a different way. The thing is with twists, sometimes they work. The Laura Dannon twist was great because it, it didn't tell it didn't go against anything else we knew. 
Yeah. You know, that's the thing. And it's like a twist works only if it makes sense. And it made sense because at first you're, but you're like, wait, she's blonde. And then, but you have a flashback and like, oh, she, di- they dyed her hair with whatever medieval dye. Bleached it. Yeah. And I liked how the more magic she did, the more red her hair got. Mm-hmm. Throughout, it wasn't very sudden. Like those little wisps of red, mm-hmm. and then she did that one huge spell, and her hair just went red. Yeah, it was like after she helped like um, depossess Graydon. Like you see yeah. streaks of red. I just thought that was funny because when she's explaining to Willow, like as a child, why her hair is blonde, it sounds like that's something that should just wash out. Yeah. And that it didn't. But yeah, I liked it. I liked the like, I liked that the transformation was visual too, like for all of them, like be it various states of dishevelment or in her case, her hair, or like their, their clothes, like they're losing items of clothing because they yeah. just can't be bothered to put them back on. Like, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. What did you think of Kit's um, Iron Man knight armor? That was badass. No wonder she didn't want to take it off. She didn't I- know how to. You know how, but I think even if she knew how, she'd be like, but this is really cool. And Jade's like, looking at her like, Jade, what do you, you think? Can wear that. That. Mm. You can wear I, that. So I grew up on novels by um, Tamara Pierce, which is all like Lady Knight stuff. This felt exactly like that. Like Kit put on the armor. I'm like, so when they make a movie adaptation of that, let's look at Ruby Cruz. Let's consider because she really rocks that armor. So I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think something I just like really liked about the series in general is it's very accessible. Fantasy mm-hmm. can sometimes feel very overwhelming. Yeah, mm-hmm. because there's so much world building that you feel like you can't enter. Like I didn't watch the Lord of the Rings series because yeah, I read the books, but and watched the original movies. But that was years ago. I feel like I felt like I would have been lost. I probably wouldn't have. But you'd probably. You'd probably be fine, but as somebody who has seen both, um, there is a sense with Rings of Power, first of all, that there's a lot going on and it's a lot to keep track of. And also, like, you'll be fine if you haven't watched the movies recently or read the books recently, but you will, there's little things they drop in there that you will pick up on if you've read all that and if you've read The Silmarillion, which I haven't. So that's one thing. But like this one, I feel like arguably watch this without seeing the movie. Yeah, you get more out of it if you've seen the movie. But you could very easily just watch this without. Yeah. Well, you follow the same core group of people. It's not like you're bouncing yeah. all yeah. over everywhere. So it's easier to keep track. Plus, I thought, and again, I'm someone who's seen the movie a bunch of times, but I thought the um, the flashbacks that they included gave enough explanation of the movie mm-hmm. for new people. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to see what someone who hasn't seen the original movie would say. Um, but I thought like they gave you everything you needed to know to explain things but it wasn't too overbearing yeah and i thought too like even within their own world building like without looking back at the movie if they're like we have to go across what is it called the shattered sea we have to go across the shattered sea the shattered sea is endless okay we're gonna say that this week and we're gonna say it next week too like just so we're all on the same page Mm -hmm. an endless sea cool and like any little bit of mythology that they introduce or world building or whatever they make sure they reiterate it organically a couple times it's like are we all on the same page? Are we all in agreement? Cool. Let's move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those things made were like familiar because, you know, yeah. in lots of other fantasy, you have like an endless desert or sea or you have to take a leap of faith off a cliff. Yeah. Um, so there are things that were like familiar to people um, from other stories. 
where tropes come in handy. Like the, mm-hmm. I was saying this on another podcast about something completely different, but the nice thing about tropes is that they kind of do half of the brain work for you is that you have seen this before. So you don't need to really read that much into it. Like your brain already knows what's going on and we can tell the rest of our story based on that like pre previous understanding. And yeah, I really, like you were saying, Krista, it's a very core cast and we just follow like this group of people and occasionally there's a few others, but I feel like that's what you get a very character driven story versus action driven stories. And that's, that's my preference is focusing on the characters and relationships. And I really love that. Yeah. Do you guys think we'll get another season? I hope we do. I do too. It was so freaking good. It was so much fun. I feel like this is something like also like, it's not children, but like for preteens and teens, like whose parents aren't going to let them watch Game of Thrones. But like children could watch it like young as eight years old. I think they might get something out of it. They might not get everything out of it, but yeah, they'll enjoy it. It is simplified that, yeah, a younger audience could watch it. Oh, a new generation can be scared of the dogs like I was. Candace is just very excited for generational trauma to perpetuate. Yes, they're going to be like, ah, the 2020 movies are so scary. Jeez, what were they doing to kids back then? Like we talk about the 80 movies. These movies were dark. (laughs) So were 90s. So were these now. But uh, I feel like there's so much more, but like, uh, I just want to say cinematography was gorgeous. The colors. Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. My dad complains a lot about how movies today are too dark. TV shows are too dark or they're too gray or anything like this. But this was just mm-hmm. so bright and colorful. It was so bright and colorful that when it did go dark, it like went dark with a purpose. It wasn't dark mm-hmm. just for the hell of it. Yeah. Um, I liked them subverting the, tro- uh, the trope of like the mindless trolls. <laughs> trolls being like very organized and... And talking very polished and very, very British. Yes, I love that. Yeah. You just that was funny. Yeah. No, they just, you know, talking, doing their stuff. But yeah, just really loved all the characters, the relationship dynamics. Mm-hmm. And want to see more. Like, how does Eric get over being like into the crone? Oh, but that's what the darker middle chapter is for. Oh my gosh, yeah, the middle chapters always gets darker. Him brooding and Alora being torn between her dark self and her, like, present self and Jade and Kidder. Like, how do we move forward with this? And Borman is just being Borman, like... Borman's just like, yeah, I'm a hero. They have to rescue Graydon from hot Alora. But they don't know. They have to find out, you know? I know. And, and I honestly, mean, that poor boy, he's, yeah, like, I know. drooling. Yeah. What if Graydon becomes like dark Graydon alongside dark Alora, and they're just evil together. We love that. I love that. We love See, that. Could happen. happen, but he's turned evil so many times already. But that's the thing. He's turned evil twice. He was possessed as a kid and he was possessed again. Things happen in threes. He's got to be possessed yep. one more time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Who knows? Excellent. Um, Arzu, I'm very shocked you did not bring up Kylo. That's because I know my audience. Because there was so much Kylo stuff here. The prince aspect. Yeah. Like, no, but actually, like, I just don't even know where to start. I could wax poetic about Eric and Graydon being aspects of Kylo Ren and Ben Solo independently. And it's just, I don't, I don't even know where to start with this. Okay. Candace, why did you get her started? 
I don't we know. I don't. She's overwhelmed. So she, honestly, she, uh, yes, I'm overwhelmed. There's honestly nothing I could say that hasn't been said already. Sad frowny prince. Sad frowny prince. Somebody give me a t-shirt of Kylo Ren. This is sad frowny prince. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I know what to get Arzy for her birthday. Yay. But yeah. But yeah, no, just all of it, honestly. It's, I said it off the top, like John, John Kasdan, it's like he gave people who got very sad in December 2019 a fix it, fix AU. That's what this reads like. It was, overall, the story is just very satisfying. Yes. Yes. And again, like, love seeing a bunch of women also on the quest, you know? Mm -hmm. When I was younger, when Lord of the Rings came out, I was like, what's up with all these dudes? You know? (laughs) Or girls. Of course, I didn't, I was like, oh, yeah. Lord of the Rings. It's satisfying in that if you stop it as Alora's like looking back at the worm before she like goes to catch up with the group, if you stop it right there, you could tell yourself like, okay, you know, they're going to fight the worm one day. They will win one day, but we're happy for now. We're settled for now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you cut to Graydon and hot Alora, and it's just, oh, there's all this other stuff going on. And obviously the mission's not over. But in that respect, I think it was satisfying that you could stop here. I just hope we don't stop here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. There is a kind of a cliffhanger, but... But closure, too, which I think yeah. is very important. Yeah. I agree. It told a cohesive story. It was a volume one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Anything else? Season two, please. Yes. Season two, please. And three. Three, se- three seasons in a movie, and we already got the movie, so two more so seasons. Two more seasons. If there are three books, like you said, that they already showed, then they have promised us three seasons. So they better deliver. I mean, that's up to Disney. It's it's canon now. They need to have three books. <laughs> Give us a trilogy. Please. Okay. Um, where can people find you online, Arzu? You can find me on Twitter at Arzu I mean. You can find me everywhere else. So Instagram, hi, Tumblr at Arzu D2. And you can find me writing on the Kiki Waffle and podcasting hey. here too. And Krista, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Krista Geeks Out. And occasionally I also write for the website. Yeah. And you can find me at Candace is a Geek on Twitter, Candace Call, everywhere else. You can find us at thegeekywaffle.com, geeky underscore waffle on Twitter, the geeky waffle everywhere else, including YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube, please. And yeah, we hope you all have a happily ever after until, oh my God, the worm comes and the crone seduces your brother and it's really awkward and your hair turns red do either of you have brothers because if not i'm the only one who's feeling very awkward by the worms seducing their brother yeah i don't have a brother nope okay great great on that note (laughs)